Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing, a weekly podcast where we stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, helping you get the best results from your marketing efforts. Now let's join our hosts, Paul Avery and Martin Broadhurst. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing your favorite podcast for everything AI and marketing, where myself and my good friend Martin Broadhurst go through all of the things that happened in AI and marketing for the week, look at some tools of the week and just any other interesting information that we think you might find uh, interesting to get on top of. How are you today, Martin? Well, after the deluge of AI announcements over the past few weeks, I managed to you know, actually read something that wasn't AI related. I managed to open a newspaper and look at like the sports stories and some stuff like that. Apparently there's a world out there that isn't AI related. And you know, when you read those stories, it's just Derby County bashing, isn't it? So is that really what you need more of that in your life? Yeah, for the for, for the most part it is that it was, it was yet another bleak weekend. We, uh, we lost to Peterborough. <laughs> that was, that was, that was. Terrible. 2-0. Game of two halves. We were dominating in the first half, but didn't score. So, you know, that's football for you. Oh, that's also sort of what happened to Google in the AI race. Ooh, satire. <laughs> also, a bleak weekend. A bleak end. I like the concept of that. That must be what it's like to be a Derby fan. Anyway, enough nonsense. Um, cool, cool. Well, let's get straight into it. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about tech experts calling for a six-month uh, AI hiatus. We're going to talk about how uh, Levi's has used uh, AI-generated models for some really cool stuff. Mine's going to take us through. We're going to talk about how Bing has announced its how it's going to try and weave advertising into its chat platform, which is like um, ChatGPT. We're going to look at um, some news that came out of the UK government about uh, it's a white paper about how they're going to use AI to drive turbocharge growth. Um, and we're going to look at some tweets that came out from one of the co-founders of HubSpot, Brian Halligan, about AI and the future of content marketing. And then, of course, we're going to have our tool of the week, which this week is going to be Go Charlie. Right. Let's get into story one. So, yes, this open letter where a number of influential figures such as Elon Musk, Steve Wozniak and Andrew Yang have demanded a temporary halt of at least six months on AI system training and deployment. They contend that AI's increasing power is not matched by adequate safety measures, government regulations, and strategies to address address AI's far-reaching societal effects. Uh, Here's a quote from the letter. Recent months have seen AI labs locked in an out-of-control race to develop and deploy ever more powerful digital minds that no one, not even their creators, can understand, predict, or reliably control. So this is a a very interesting uh, thing to see happen. I've got to be honest, Martin, with my cynical hat on, I see that some of the most well-known signees of this letter are competitors to OpenAI and that this could just be a guarded attempt to say, um, OpenAI, is there any chance you could just stop for six months while the rest of us catch up? What are your thoughts? (laughs) Um, Absolutely. The first thought that came to mind. First of all, I think it's a, a... I, I get the concerns, right? There is there are legitimate concerns, and I'm sure we'll go into those. But the idea that we're going to go stop that for six months uh, is, is is well, frankly, crazy. Take it away from the the corporate competition, but look at the kind of geopolitical landscape, right? So, who is developing AI tech? China, Russia, uh, EU. What, we're just supposed to imagine that American companies are going to cede their position to overseas organizations. It, it's a nonsense. I understand why a group of high-profile figures are going to say, hey, look, this is something that we, we, we need to have a real discussion about because this tech is, there's potential for it to run away from us. But the idea of a, hey, let's just, let's let everyone slow down, stop, take a breather, six months, press pause, and then we'll all just get back on the, on the horse in six months time. You know, six months seems arbitrary. It just seems like a bit of a, uh, a way to make a bit of noise. Uh, and for some organizations, like you say, to uh, try and play catch up. I guess there's an element of 
maybe knowing that this wouldn't work, but also giving yourself a told you so option uh, further down the line if you need it. Um, I'm like you, Martin, if I take my cynical hat back off and you read the letter, I think a lot of the concerns are real. And I think if you look at the speed of change just in March, even people who were broadly excited by the technology may be feeling a bit nervous about how fast things are moving. And I have to admit, I'm starting to think like that myself, but I don't think it'll have an impact on the open AI and Microsoft juggernaut at all. I think it's tantamount to asking every oil drilling company to stop drilling at some at the same time to positively impact climate climate change for the good of you know humanity that's a great idea um but i just don't think that every single oil company or in this case ai company uh, is gonna is gonna shut everything down because it only takes one to plow on regardless and then they become the winner that that takes all right so i just i just don't see it yeah the stakes are too high absolutely there's no and and who's going to enforce this? What the U.S. government are going to pass this law change through? No. So it's impractical. Um, but I can see why they why they would push for it. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting. It's prompted some conversations. This type of thing. I've been having some um, some people who've been listening to the podcast, been sending me messages and asking me my different viewpoints on different things. I'd be interested to get your viewpoint, Martin. But one of the questions I get is how scared of ai are you paul um because you know obviously you're doing a lot of reading and thinking about this and i think ultimately i think it's got great power and to help a lot of people be more efficient and effective and it's going to have a massive impact for the good of humanity potentially in a lot of domains especially things like healthcare and primary research and on the business side it's going to allow us to do more in less time which i think is is already starting to be shown i think a key thing is going to be how we choose to use that power and how we choose to use it remains to be seen a bit. Um, Paul Reitzer at the Marketing AI Institute talks about using this to free people up to work fewer days um, and still have the same output and deliver the same outcomes. And I'd, I would honestly love to see that become a reality. You know, we'd, we'll all do three-day weeks and AI can pick up the slack. But my fear is in this capitalist mechanism that underpins Western society, I don't think we can enable it without government intervention as we live in a sort of a market-driven economic system that emphasizes the pursuit of profit um, where businesses compete against each other. So if one business decides to work three days a week and leverage AI to pick up the slack, it only takes one of the competitors to work five days a week with the same power and they'll outcompete the other companies. And so, yeah, I'm I'm not quite sure that we can make that happen. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. You know, I think there's a societal uh, shift that would be required in order to to, to kind of see that. Uh, it's, in fact, have you listened to the Sam Altman interview? He's done a two and a half hour interview yeah. this week. And he talks about, you know, this. there is going to be major economic shifts that come about through the deployment of, he, they're talking specifically about AGI in that interview. Mm. Uh, and we're not quite there yet. But, you know, things like universal basic income, uh, if you're going to have people working slightly less, then presumably some people at the kind of bottom uh, might see the, the the amount of work that they have generally reduced, so their income is lower. If AGI and corporations are able to make higher profits with lower inputs or lower labor costs, some of those profits should be more heavily taxed, in which case we should expect to see funding go to universal basic income schemes so that people do have the ability to earn a good living doing three days a week. Um, and the thing Mark said, we should be able to spend our days chasing butterflies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a great perspective of mine. And I love I love the deep questions that Paul rates or asks about this topic and to really get us all thinking because we're going to get well this open letter is because there is now a swelling belief that we're going to get to all of these things much faster than perhaps we all thought and we have to be asking these questions we have to be debating how and whilst i might sound like a bit of a negative ninny i don't mean to i mean we have to look at the system that we operate in because it's probably not fit for purpose for what <laughs> systems we're going to have to have in place to make sure that AI is leveraged for for the benefit of people, just not not as another accelerator 
We'll take you back to the conversation that we had last week, looking at the the report that OpenAI did on the impact of the labor market. 80% of jobs they estimate will be impacted 10% by GPTs. 19% of jobs will be impacted 50% by GPTs. These are substantial figures, 20% of jobs being impacted 50%. And if you take, you know, kind of extrapolate it out, I think there are some more, rather than just the impact on the jobs, but the the, the nature of the jobs that are going to be impacted. We've spoke about it before. If you're a GP, right, or if you're a HR consultant or a solicitor, your training has always been on knowledge and having a knowledge on a certain corpus of text or whatever, you know, kind of certain specialism. If you've now got GPTs that can pass the equivalent exam that you passed but pass it at a higher score than the average human that passes those things passes at, there's not as much, these high status jobs are going to be diminished. So there's a, there's a whole shift that is about to be undertaken. Um, and I think there will be a resistance at first as people say, I'm not going to trust my, let's say, let's take diagnosis, right? The thing that you go for a, a to a GP for, I'm not going to trust GPT with that. And people will have a natural reluctance until the fact that some people, a slither of people are doing that and they see good results from it and they see it working very well for them. And then over time, more and more people, it's like self-driving cars. You know, we haven't gone from level zero to level five autonomous driving cars. We've got gradual improvements in assistance from level one, level two, level three, level four, level five. That's where we're going. We're just starting to see level three autonomous cars coming out of the market. Next, it'll be level four and then it'll be level five. These things take time. And I think as we start to accept GPTs assisting us doing things that we previously said could only be done by a human doctor, a human lawyer, a human this, that, the other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, over time, that, that shift is going to incrementally come in and hmm, the impact is yet to be seen. I don't think people have, well, we, we know people haven't woken up to this yet. No. So let's hope... Let's hope there's more going on behind the scenes than we know. And we're going to talk about a UK government paper later to really start to think about what societal measures need to be in place in order to try and sh- ensure that the route that this goes down is uh, is the route that, you know, hopefully would benefit the majority of, if not all of humanity, rather than, say, a select few or actually not really unlocking a better life for a lot of people like it potentially could have i think the other thing i often get asked about is like um skynet terminator like are the ais just gonna like become self-aware and then kill us all and i guess that's possible but it's i don't actually that's not the case i tend to worry about the most if i do worry and i try not to worry mike because you can't worry about the things you can't control to a certain extent but when i do worry it's actually the sort of not those doomsday scenarios it's like accidental doomsday uh, where we like accidentally misdeploy AI on something or other. And the story I've heard, I must have read it on a book, I'm sure I've heard it in a billion podcasts as well. But the one that always sticks with me is this concept of um, creating like a paperclip master AI that's briefed to develop the most effective paperclip that it can, manufactured as efficiently as possible at scale. And then it's like told, right, go, use whatever resources you need to do that. And of course, untouched. What it does is it uses all the world's resources to create the best paperclip that it then manufactures at ridiculous efficiency to turn the entire world into a world of paperclips, leaving no resources for humanity to actually live on anymore. And that we, and that the end of the world comes about because there's too many paperclips and there's not enough anything else. Um, and the AI just doggedly kept doing it because that's what its brief was. Um, I hadn't really thought about that till I read, I heard that story. But I think, ironically, that's much more plausible doomsday scenario than Arnold Schwarzenegger-style um, robots come to kill us all. So what we're saying is don't use an office world AI chatbot just in case. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, you know, who's going to deploy that? Clippy, isn't it? It's going to be... <laughs> yeah, he's going to be our overlord. Rubbing his hands of glee because this has been his plan for about 30 years and now it's all come like... <laughs> My time has come, he says. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, what you're talking about there is an alignment issue, right? And alignment is one of the big topics in in AI in terms of uh, how we we create models that align with humanity, and and that's a big challenge because actually alignment 
it means different things to different people and different cultures and different organizations and different interest groups. But I think actually the kind of those um, those kinds of challenges of AI just getting super literal and and <laughs> running away with itself on one particular task, I I'm less concerned about that. But I can see how um, you know, it could all go horribly wrong and we all turn into paperclips. Yeah, I think they're all unlikely, but certainly it's that one that the not necessarily paperclips, but some unintended consequence. Yeah, yeah, second yeah. order um consequence that we couldn't predict that you're like oh crumbs yeah yeah sorry that was me <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the, you know the entirety of uh one city's always been turned to paper clips time to probably try and stop that uh stop that ai now but right so i think that was an important story to cover i think if you're a marketer it's just useful to know the context of how these things are playing out um but not too much in the applicability there probably in your day-to-day -day work Something that maybe is a bit more applicable is Levi's use of AI-generated models to increase diversity. Tell us a bit more about what you saw here this week, Martin. Levi Strauss has partnered with digital fashion studio LaLaLand.ai to create AI-generated avatars to increase diversity amongst its models. Now, what they're saying is LaLaLand uses advanced AI to create hyper-realistic models of various body types, ages, sizes, and skin tones for fashion brands and retailers. And Levi's is saying that the aim is to offer more personal, inclusive shopping experience for customers by enabling them to see products on models that resemble them. There's a lot of fanfare about this, and um, I think it's a you know fascinating application nice to see some innovation in this space i'm always interested to see what the big brands are doing we, we spoke about coca-cola doing their partnership with OpenAI recently and and this is a very practical example um seen things like smart mirrors i know amazon tried to do the smart retail app thing where you get the clothes that you like the look of and you can see them on yourself um using the app so this is a great example where they're using AI-generated models to increase the diversity. Um, they are saying that the use of AI, well, if we think about what this means for, for, for marketers, it just means that we can have better representation uh, if we're looking, we're working with models. On the flip side, <laughs> if I'm a model from a minority community and the number of opportunities that I have to find gigs is already quite slim, I might not be looking at this uh, entirely positively mm. when I'm looking at it going, oh yes, is AI going to take jobs? <laughs> In this sense, yes, it very much is taking my job here and now. So I, I, I'm a kind of torn and I recognize that as a straight white man, I'm probably not the best voice or champion of understanding diversity and speaking about it in the right way or what have you but i do think there's a there's a it didn't sit right with me when i heard the story straight off the bat i thought um i appreciate and applaud the technology and the use of it i don't necessarily like that the whole statement when they released it was really leading with that diversity message to Levi's credit, in the press release, they do say, "Look, we we recognise that this isn't um, this isn't the only thing that's required in order to be uh, a more diverse and inclusive company. Uh, there are other things that we're doing." But I think I thought leading with it was a bit like mm, I can see the downside as well as the the positives here. Yeah, I think my gut. I haven't read the press release, but my gut feel is the same as yours, which is being able to technologically it's really interesting and i think it's only a half a step away from being easily able to dress yourself up in a bunch of different clothes when when buying clothes online without actually having to try them on you could see what you look like in them potentially and i know there are other technologies that are developed and used for that but you know you could see how these be combined my spidey sense is also tingling because I think this is a very powerful way to show customized ads to people based on things that you know about them in order to make the ads resonate more, right? We know there's lots of um, 
social science studies that show that people tend to like people like them more and be drawn to people who are like them. And I think if you see a bunch of ads that are people like you, you're going to be, you know, perhaps more likely to be influenced and embrace them. So I can see a powerful Mac advertising component, but the bit about how, what the impact this has on those minority groups getting gigs that are probably already quite hard to get, I completely agree. That part feels a bit tone deaf to me. This is like, yeah, business strategy wise, I can absolutely understand why you would do it. Society wise, it feels icky as hell. Honestly. Yeah, we should probably just leave it at that. I think so. <laughs> icky as hell. But what's he talking about? Need to listen to the full podcast. Um let's see how many times you could say icky as hell. Uh right, let's get into our next story then. Let's talk about being announcing ads for chat. So this is kind of interesting. We've been talking previously, like, oh, what's gonna happen? You know, people in chat GPT, they're in Bing, they're using these chat driven tools. Search engines are kind of paid for and underpinned by the fact that they show relevant ads in your search results. Very hard, one would have assumed, to do that in a natural chat-style interface, especially one that ones that at the moment are starting to experiment with showing the sources that they're using for, for getting information. But of course, that's coming as part of the next phase of the rollout of these tools. So Microsoft uh, issued a blog post that said they've begun experimenting with ads for Bing Chat, which is sort of chat GPT through, through the Bing search interface, if you like. A couple of quotes from that blog post are that they are experimenting with an expanded hover experience where hovering over a link from a publisher will display more links from that publisher, giving the user more ways to engage and driving more traffic to the publisher's website. So I think there's an element here of trying to overcome the criticism of using other people's content in chat but no real attribution and no possible driving of traffic to the original website so we'll see how well that actually works because i'm not sure if people are going to click those links but that'd be good to experiment with another quote was we're also exploring placing ads in the chat experience to share the ad revenue with partners whose content contributed to the chat response so there's a couple of things here in terms of somewhat trying to deliver credit to content that's in the chat window and therefore some sort of revenue sharing model that i didn't quite understand that how that's going to work yet and then the other example i saw actually showed ads like sponsored content in effect marked as an ad a little bit like you see on you know google search now and bing search um, highlighting results that were brought back by the chat tool that were effectively paid for um so this shouldn't come as a huge surprise that Bing would look to monetize or Microsoft would look to monetize the tool. Um, it certainly didn't take them very long, right? Bing chat hasn't been out very long. I think as a marketer, what this means is it could offer you an innovative way to reach your audience, especially as more and more people move towards chat-based tools. And I think if this works for Bing and Microsoft, we should probably expect to see other search providers adopting a similar model in the future. Um, possibly it could come to ChatGPT free quite quickly, one would assume. Whether or not it would make it into the paid version, ChatGPT Plus remains to be seen. There's a bit of me that would hope it wouldn't, if I'm honest, but we shall see. Um, I think it also opens up opportunities to start experimenting with this because we we've talked previously, Martin, on the podcast and off the podcast, where's where's the where's the commercial opportunity in this, both for as an advertising platform, but also for advertisers and marketers spend so much of their time now, digital marketers looking for the next digital marketing arbitrage, don't they? They're looking for that that opportunity where marketers can identify a channel. Or, or a tactic that's currently low saturation that they think is going to have an oversized impact on their marketing results and then use it as quick as possible before it becomes oversaturated and audiences either tune it out or it becomes too expensive to use at scale. You know, this is something that's been plaguing um, a lot of the real-time bidding algorithms that underpin things like Google ads and LinkedIn ads and stuff, right? They're really expensive at this point. And it's, especially if you work in e-commerce, it's hard to make margin on on you know running those ads. So I guess this could be, is chat the next arbitrage opportunity for marketers to get in early, start testing it and see if they can get 
good results for a really low price. So I, I think that's how I'm starting to see this as it starts to play out. What are your thoughts on this bit of news, mine? The first example I saw of it was from someone doing a search about the price of a car. So how much does a certain car cost at this moment in time? And it had the, the price and it had a link to an article where this price was. It was such a strange ad placement and I couldn't see myself, as far as I could tell from that example, actually, when you clicked on it, it was actually almost like a um, car review website. I don't actually know for sure, but it didn't seem like it was taking me to a dealership where I was going to buy it. Maybe I was, maybe I'm wrong there. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you were saying, will people actually click on these, right? How much are people going to engage with it? The other thing is, how much are people going to engage with it when plugins are coming out? How much are people going to be using Bing Chat compared to ChatGPT plugins where it's connected to Kayak and I can just do my search and it's going to tell me the itinerary that I can choose and give me the hotel that I've asked it to find and I'll just click on it that way. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see how users actually interact with it. I, I, I suspect this is a first roll of the dice by Bing, who has just gone, right, let's get something out and see what happens. Will this be the long-term solution? Will they look to actually use, I mean, it's almost certain that we're going to have some sort of remarketing-based element to, to this, where chat topics will be used in the same way that search topics will be used. And if you say, what's the best itinerary for a holiday in Crete? Next thing you'll see is ads chasing you around the web for holidays in Crete. That kind of, that makes sense. Um, I can see that being implemented. But yeah, these particular in-context ad units will, the other thing is, does that, as an end user, right? do I then trust the the chat less? And anything that harms the the credibility or, or if I start to see that actually this response just feels entirely sponsored and it's not giving me the content that I'm after, are people going to shift to different LLM? So when there's open source models that are being run, they're just as big and powerful as GPT-4 or what have you, will people just look elsewhere? So yeah, I mean, ultimately we're at day one, aren't we? Um, and I think for marketers, yes, if, if now there is an opportunity to to capitalize on this as a as a new channel then then go for it but don't be surprised if in six months time the whole thing has completely shifted and these ad units no longer exist yeah absolutely it's interesting you when you say that and you give the kayak example and of course when chat gpt launched its plugins as we covered in last week's episode if you haven't listened to it yet available by via all good uh podcast subscription services um the first 20 that were selected, it was quite an interesting mix, but there were like Expedia and Kayak both in there, right? Both massively battling for where their almost entire model now is based on people who Google for holidays and things and then providing price comparisons and that type of stuff. Like, did Kayak and Expedia and those other platforms that were in the first 20 plugins, did they pay mm. for that opportunity, right? Because you could imagine that you probably would be worth paying for in order to be one of those first plugins. How does it work when all of Kayak's competitors get a plugin? Do you sort of sort of like drift towards your favorite plugin and you have to activate the plugin to make that search? Or that, That's how the plugins work at the moment. That's how it, it works right now. The plugin, so it's going to be a brand thing, isn't it? Absolutely. So then what do you end up with? Some sort of app marketplace where a little bit like you have on sort of Play Store and... and, and um, and the Apple Store now, where you can sponsor specific search terms in the App Store to make sure your app is up up the top. And is that how this all then starts to the monetization of the aspect of this, uh, which of course for most marketers is not going to be super relevant. But in terms of how the platforms evolve and how they make money and how businesses like Kayak and other businesses that want you searching their inventories, their product lists or whatever, you leverage the tools to drive commercial value. It's going to be fascinating because it is day one, like you said, Martin. And I think there's going to be a lot of twists and turns in this story as we see. And as and as the businesses involved, Microsoft, Google and others, 
have to snake and pivot around and test things to figure out what what's going to work from a commercial standpoint because quite hard to imagine and bet for sure on what will i would say yeah and these systems are going to be expensive to run expensive to develop uh at some point they've got to start generating revenue uh, and users are very quickly going to have diversity of options the other day i was sat there with bard open with bing chat open and with chat gpt open all on the same screen already we have three chat interfaces to start talking to i can already make these decisions uh competition is already rife so yeah you've got to make sure that it, it doesn't detract from the user experience because as we know um ux is such a differentiator hence you know chat gpt becoming the fastest product launch ever versus gpt3 having been around for two years barely having made a dent yeah so funny isn't it right i think uh, probably time to move on to the next story this is with you martin tell us about this um uk government news around this artificial artificial intelligence white paper so regulation in ai is a hot topic at the moment and there's a lot of it uh in the ether in the us china and the eu all of which um looking at this area and the uk now that we live in post-brexit britain obviously isn't going to be part of the eu regulatory framework so the uk government has unveiled what they're calling a world leading approach to innovation in uh artificial intelligence to, to turbocharge growth this white paper uh talks about a few interesting things one that the the, the main thing to come out of it is actually the uk's approach is going to be quite light touch so what they're saying is that ai contributed already uh, 3.7 billion to the uk economy and going forward uk government's approach to regulating ai will be based on five guiding principles of safety transparency fairness accountability and contestability and there's definitions of, of each of those mm -hmm. but what they're saying is that they're they're not going to put in uh, a dedicated regulator overseeing ai it's going to be up to existing regulators in place to have ai as part of their regulatory um remit right so existing regulators are going to have to adapt um and they are saying that they are empowering existing regulators to take their own tailored approaches based on the different sectors so banking can take their own approach health and what have you can all take their own, their own approach in order to enable businesses to kind of figure out what will or won't work in any regulatory environment they are launching a two million pound fund to basically enable sandbox trials so what they'll say is businesses can basically experiment and work alongside the regulators and put ideas together and they can figure out whether their uses of AI fit within whatever the regulators in that industry um, deem to be appropriate. So what uh, what of it? Right. Well, it's been criticised uh, in in some corners as being too light touch and placing it at odds with global trends in AI regulation. Mm -hmm. uh, some people saying that uh, consumer groups and privacy activists saying that it's not going to go far enough um there is no statutory body or statutory um mechanism to to enforce anything it's all very it's so light touch it's kind of a real hands-off approach from from government from a legislation perspective it's all devolved all of the power is going to be devolved to the regulators right um and when you think about the regulators as is you know how well funded are they <laughs> how much how much extra resource are they going to have to monitor or, or manage and regulate all of these new technologies, which are, as we've just discussed, moving at kind of breakneck speed? Are they going to be able to keep up with these changes? So I said that this is at odds with um, the rest of the world. In the USA, they've got the Algorithmic Accountability Act 2022, which is... Um, a voluntary AI framework, but companies are required to assess the impact of AI in 
however they're using it. China is introducing specific laws addressing AI risks with mandatory user notifications when AI algorithms are involved when they deal with a business. So if if a business uses AI as part of a kind of profiling, maybe it's kind of risk management or you know, an insurance thing, the consumer has to be told that there is a an, an AI mechanism to that. So they've they've actually enforced that. Uh, and that's moved past the kind of discussion stage or the proposal stage. This is actually being rolled out um, as, we, as we speak. Right. The EU has the Artificial Intelligence Act, which is kind of uh, still being worked on. Uh, no firm paper yet. It's not been fully introduced. But that's going to include some interesting mechanisms such as grading AI products by potential harm. Um, so... For instance, uh, an AI that analyzes emails and assesses whether they are spam or not is going to be lower harm than something that uses like, biometric profiling for anything. Or that makes paper clips. Or that, yeah, <laughs> that turns all of the world's resources into paper clips. Uh, so the, the EU one is the one with the broadest scope. Right. And it actually goes so far as to say that there are some AI uses that are prohibited. So for instance, uh, social grading by governments is prohibited under the, the proposals from the, from the EU, right. which I guess is kind of probably a response to people's concerns that they've heard about the way that China does like, the social credit score and different mechanisms there. I don't know, maybe not. I've, I've not read the paper. It's kind of in line with the EU's understandable stances in a number of areas even gdpr right in terms of mm. protecting people's privacy and ensuring that yeah they're not categorized and treated differently based on what factors right ai is going to start grading people i think a it makes sense and b i think it's much more in line with things the eu's done in the past yeah yeah so in, in with regard to the the uk law um I think there's a wider commercial reality for, for any companies that are looking to develop their own products or services uh, using AI. And that is that if they're developing these products and services, they're probably going to want to develop them to sell them in markets such as the, the US, the EU, or China. So much like when GDPR was uh, introduced, this resulted in many American organizations basically aligning with GDPR standards right with with eu standards and um, because they recognized that it was useful and beneficial to them and actually gdpr ended up becoming the gold standard for data protection regulation around the world it's kind of the blueprint that people take and adapt for their own markets so i think we'll see the same ultimately down the line with ai regulation right so countries around the world depending on their sphere of influence on a geopolitical scale will either look to use the AI uh, Algorithmic Accountability Act in America, or if, you know, if they're maybe in North American, maybe Canada, Mexico, they'll kind of lean on the American framework in the, in the EU kind of sphere of influence. Countries will look at the EU framework and what have you. So on the face of it, the UK government's approach of being an outlier in this domain does have some upsides. Uh, they can say, you know, we're, we're supporting innovation. We're not going to be heavy handed on regulation. Uh, there, there are potential benefits. I can see that some businesses might want to use the UK as a bit of a test bed. And then maybe if a, if a product or, a, or some sort of innovation is quite successful, maybe they can then lean on EU regulators, US regulators to say, you know, this isn't harmful. Can you change the rules to enable us to to introduce the, the similar mechanism um, in your market? We can become a bit of a, a testing ground. Mm. That said, there's also a bit of me which is slightly cynical where I go, you know, is this just a, an easy way for the government to say, we just don't have the resource to, <laughs> to enforce this and we'll let someone out. We're, we're basically outsourcing the regulation because we're not the the big players in the world we're not setting regulatory standards in the way that we have done in the past that's down to the eu the us and we'll just kind of leave it to the to the market to figure out where to go 
from a kind of commercial investment decision, are businesses that are working heavily in AI going to be looking at London uh, as a place to invest uh, for AI development? Are we going to be looking at the UK and go, that that's the place to develop because they've got less regulation in this area? I don't think so because of the reasons that I've outlined previously. I think they're going to be looking. If, if the UK is the place to develop, I think it's going to be based on different factors like our, uh, our skills uh, you know, could be levels of investment, what have you. I don't think this light touch regulation is going to be it because, as I mentioned, if you're developing an AI product or service, you're going to be selling into the EU and US, so you're probably aligning with their frameworks as is. Yeah, anyway, regardless of where you actually, if you developed it in the UK where it was a bit looser. That makes perfect sense to me, Martin. It sounds like it's the type of nuanced interplay that we're seeing happening at the regulation level which is marketers we want to know we want to know how strict the rules are going to be on the people who are making the tools that we want to use because of course the more regulation there is the more tightly controlled the feature sets will be and the harder it will probably be to, to bring products to market one assumes um and that will then have a downstream impact on on what we do uh, and what tools we can use but i guess also what potentially even what we can do as marketers in terms of how far does this regulation stretch into content that you produce using AI and tactics that you use and and you mentioned retargeting earlier right there's a version of the world where the AI is going to be much better at retargeting than even the mechanisms that we have now um, and and profiling people effectively and and how acceptable is that going to be so mm. fascinating one yeah I think auditability as well at you know being able to dig into the to the models, this is something that the EU um, reg regulation is going to be big on, which is uh, being able to interrogate the the weights and biases basically within the models. So that's something that I think marketers are going to have to be aware of going forward. If you're using a product, uh, maybe you're, you're you're buying some AI services, um, you've got to be prepared to to maybe audit those underlying models as well. That's going to be hard when OpenAI, who was supposed to be in the title is now not sharing those details and so that you don't know how the model works. So huh, maybe OpenAI will have to be more open because regulation will require all large language models to, you know, show us how how the weights and biases and probability matrices and all those other things work. So fascinating. Well, Martin, that was a good one. Thanks for sharing that with us. You've got another one for us as well. You've got um, some tweets that you saw uh, Brian Halligan, uh, co-founder of HubSpot, share about AI and the future content marketing that I think you've nicely summarized for us so that we don't have to go absorb the whole thing ourselves. Yeah, what does AI mean for the future of content marketing? Got some some really good replies. It was a fascinating thread to, to read through. And I was trying to find some kind of broad categories because there was quite a lot um, in there. And you know, this came off the back of... Um, GPT-4 and just the, the this kind of step changing quality of output and you could just see that people's concern over low quality content uh, where SEO had once ruled, um, what what's its future going to be? So I, I would say that it kind of got it down to five key themes really. So one of the things that people came up a couple of times was people talking about um, AI O, the artificial intelligence. Not AI AI O, because that would be AI AI O. Yeah, no artificial intelligence optimization becoming the new SEO. So Nelson Joyce replied saying uh, AI O is the new SEO, and this kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about you know, how do you get your content into the Bing chat? You know, for for the past couple of years, people have been talking about how do you. You know, you write a blog so that you end up getting a in the featured snippet on Google. That's been a, a big thing for content marketers. Well, how do you make sure that your content is now referenced in in Bing Chat or that your uh, your kind of model or framework, whatever it is that you want to talk about, is the thing that that the AI puts forward to the readers? So that's going to be an interesting one to see how it plays out. Because if you take it on the the, the paradigm that we've operated in with large language models up until about two weeks ago, there was a hard cut off with the data. You know, it was, you know, if you were waiting to optimize your data on the old model, it was, well, 
it's been framed up to September 21. When's the next model going to be updated and released? And then imagine if you didn't get your results straight away. It's like the core updates in Google. At least they come every six months or something. Um, having to wait three years for a new uh, LLM update would be a bit a bit painful. So yeah, now that they're actually connected to the web and we've got plugins and we've got um, crawlers and all sorts of integrations, then yeah, I think AIO is going to be something that uh, people need to pay pay attention to. Another theme, human-centric content. We've spoken about this before. People are going to have to have more personality, real humans, faces, talking like this, you know, conversations with words and emotions and laughter and mistakes, all of that kind of stuff that humans do that AIs don't do so well. That's going to become increasingly important. Yeah, humanizing it and really, yeah, allowing us to empathize and connect with it in a different way to robotically generated text. Yeah. I think so. That's going to be a trust content will be king was something that uh, one of the tweets said. Um, so they're just going to be uh, so you know what does it mean for the future of content marketing? Evolving tools and roles, so new tools and in-house jobs or agencies for AI-driven content. Um, Brett, someone called Brett said, QA as a service for AI-driven content development, which I thought was a an interesting interesting one I'm not entirely sure I've understood it fully but you know I totally get that so one of the things I've read is um AI as a as an as much as anything chat GPT is a powerful tool for experts because you can ask it to produce a bit of content but you also have the necessary expertise to identify when it's hallucinating and talking talking absolute nonsense um and so QA as a service would, to me, is getting an expert in that domain to review the output of ChatGPT and making sure it hasn't spoken a load of crap, mm, basically. Yeah. Um, which I can I can actually imagine, um, especially because that's part of the value that Biostrata brings, right? Like we when we produce yeah. content for clients as a life science specialist with a with writers with PhDs and stuff like that, we can understand the content that we're creating. We can have peer to peer conversations with clients subject matter experts and produce really good content first time because we understand the topic um i can quite imagine that if i hired a new marketing grad tomorrow who didn't have a science background and then asked chat gpt to write me a blog about confocal microscopy that person that you know quite understandably wouldn't be able to tell fact from fiction in chat gpt's output but one of my writers would because they've been working in this field a number of years and they've got the scientific expertise to to QA the content. So, yeah, I, I'm not surprised to see that. I hadn't quite thought of it as a service, to be honest, because um, I think it, I think great content is not just, is it technically accurate? I think there's a lot of other things that make content great in terms of narrative structure, covering the key points, pithiness, readability in marketing being honestly persuasive and compelling and encouraging a person to take another action all of which ai is getting better at but i don't think is there yet so that i think is where i guess it, the question is what do you consider qa but yeah that's an interesting one and um yeah something i think i'll be keeping an eye on as an idea yeah and the last one i want to mention in terms of the themes was uh increased alignment and faster response to market events so it's just going to enable people to respond quicker to changing market conditions or environments um wait says hello margot said uh, way faster response to new problems or events and i think again it's just that we've we've spoken about this before ai content efficiency you can get things done uh, quicker so yeah i think it's just going to enable people to produce more more quickly it was an interesting discussion i think um the the main thing for me though was um in fact oh, there, here we go kit bodner so kit bodner used to be the cmo at hubspot i believe he replied saying content marketing will be driven by the things ai isn't as good at uh point of view personality people connection education content will be fully commoditized Creators will win. Brand will have to partner 
and hire creators to have differentiation in the market. That is a hell of a quote. Um, I think I, th I agree with every single part of that. Actually, I thought that was really interesting. Right. That's basically all the stories for this week. And then we were going to look at a tool of the week this week, which is uh, Go Charlie. You've been playing with Go Charlie, Martin. Tell us about it. Go Charlie is an AI writing assistant, much in the same vein as tools like uh, Jasper and Writer and, uh, well, take your pick. There's been loads of them. What makes Go Charlie different? No, because let's be honest. Uh, now that we have such easy interfaces to interact with the likes of ChatGPT and say, write me a blog introduction or write me some email subject lines, uh, the, the value that we used to get from these writing assistants has largely been diminished because the instruct power is uh, so capable in ChatGPT. However, GoCharlie is a bit different. They've been, the team at GoCharlie has done a great job at really extending uh, the power of, of LLMs and integrating kind of multimodal capabilities. So I think the team there have done a brilliant job. Uh, shout out to Brennan and the team. I think they've done, like I say, done some good work. For example, content repurposer. This is a fantastic little tool. So content repurposer um, allows you to add some content. <laughs> Clues in the name, right? <laughs> so you can add a link to a YouTube video or you can upload uh, an MP4 or an MP3. You can upload audio as well. And then you can then choose the output that you want and you can get it to write a blog post. You can get it to summarize the content. You can get it to do some LinkedIn content or Twitter content. And it's really, really good. If, if you take, for instance, the uh, audio from a podcast, I can't imagine where this example might have um, come from, but if you take the audio recording of a podcast and stick it into the content repurposer, it will write you a blog post summarizing that that content. So they've done a really good job with that. They've got, uh, if you create a blog post using one of these tools, it introduces suggested images as well and it actually puts in prompts that you can put into an image generator like dali or stable diffusion as well oh. so it, it does have an image gen generation tool in it so it doesn't bake it in um, i think that will that will come down the line but i really like the product the interface it's quite cheeky um they've got um charlie is this little illustrated cartoon dog um, there's a little Easter egg mode where you can turn it on and it turns all the icons to rashes of bacon. <laughs> Who doesn't love bacon? So it's quite playful, but actually the... Uh, <laughs> Who doesn't like bacon? Don't at me, vegetarians. You know? <laughs> I, I was just thinking a lot of people don't like bacon, right? But but you like bacon and that's absolutely your choice. I know. Bacon, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the, the interface is... is it's easy to use. They've got loads of templates for things like uh, product descriptions, subject lines, blog introductions, that kind of stuff. And then they're all very good and very capable. But what, what I think they're really pushing the the envelope on is bringing in these other technologies, for instance, like the transcription the, and the content repurposing. Being able to take a YouTube video, particularly if it's something that's quite short, if you get something like 15 minutes long, stick it in and it turns it into a blog in one click and you go, okay, that's so there um are there any limits with it i know a lot of the writing tools you have to like pay more and more and more to get more words and more characters is that the similar thing with with go charlie yeah so there are tiers um on on, the, on their plans I, to be honest i'm not sure of the they have a teams plan an unlimited plan and a and a kind of entry plan i believe uh, they've just launched the the teams plan Oh, I'm just looking. Uh, one monthly charge, unlimited content for growth. So the charge is a little higher than some of the other tools. So if you, the freelance entry one's $39 a month, um, but there's no caps on it, which for a lot of the tools that are cheaper than that, there are character or word limit caps on that. So that, that could make it interesting. I love that some of the things you described there in terms of being able to feed it audio and have it create the blog post. 
Um, I did that all this week in the most convoluted way possible, probably by the sounds of things, because I used Whisper API to transcribe the audio of our last podcast. And then I fed um, the transcription in sections into ChatGPT4 uh, and had it create blog sections off the back of it. And I couldn't help but think while I was doing it, there must be a better tool and a better way out there to do that how good are the blog summaries are they are they decent and decent length because when i've used other tools like this in the past they've turned an hour's transcription into about 300 words and completely missed a lot of the value and the nuance of the actual thing i was trying to feed it yeah so there is there is a limit um and i think that comes down to i, I don't know what tools they're using in terms of whisper api um or what have you uh, I, I put in a transcript from one of our, oh, sorry, I put in the audio recording from our blog. Uh, uh, sorry, get me words out in a second. This is real that? human content with real mistakes. Real, real, real <laughs> genuine human mistakes. <laughs> one of our recent episodes, I uploaded the content and it, it basically missed the uh, a good chunk of the, the podcast. Probably about 25% of, of the content was missing from the summary. Um, so... The actual output length itself, though, was a decent blog length. It was, you know, if memory says we write that one was around a thousand words. So it wasn't short, but it didn't capture everything. I think there are some some limitations there. But the tool that cracks that, the tool that cracks getting a full-length transcript, breaking it down into the appropriate number of tokens, feeding that through and then piecing it all back together, that is going to be... Well, as someone who has to edit, summarize, and write show notes for a podcast, <laughs> I think that's going to be fantastic. Well, me too, uh, as someone who does similar. Um, I mean, the blog post that I produced in the end was drifting towards 3,000 words, so it was extensive because I really wanted to do justice to the stories that we'd covered because not everybody has the time or inclination to listen to a podcast. Um, but yes, I do think... I do think that that tool would be valuable. And if, as we suspect, more brands lean into human content, which probably ends up being audio and video, because that's how you know it's a human, at least at the moment, um, more and more, we're probably going to want to have access to these tools that do those summaries and those blog posts and those social posts that do the original recordings justice. Because at the moment, the only way I could find was that convoluted way I described. And it sounds like Go Charlie's getting there. And it sounds honestly better than a number of the other tools I've tried but still not quite maybe what we ideally really want yeah it's not far off it's certainly not far off and I think the way that the team are developing at the moment you know I see they've got a very active community that um that they're really taking on board uh user feedback another thing I didn't mention actually they have image generation so you can create um 4k images so they're nice upscaled images but they've also got in painting Okay. Which I think is a nice feature because yeah. um, you don't see that on, on so many of the image generation tools. Yeah, so you can highlight those bits that you you don't have to go create a new image. You can highlight a little bit of the image like, oh, can you change this from orange to red or can you remove that football from the background or whatever. Mm. Mm. Interesting. I think I'm going to have to go and have a play with that one. It sounds intriguing, Martin. So thank you very much for taking us through that and telling us a bit more about your experiences with Go Charlie. Cool. I think that's us done for another episode, isn't it, Martin? I think that is. Well, as always, thank you for your time. Always lovely to hang out with you. To the listeners, I hope you've enjoyed that and that it's been beneficial. If it's been useful for you and you've not subscribed yet, please do subscribe. And if you know other marketers who might benefit from listening to our ramblings um, and that they won't be too mad at you for you sending this this podcast, <laughs> then please share it with your friends and your colleagues and uh, and see if they like it as well. So, One more thing before we go. Right. Uh, we have uh, the the Twitter account. Oh, now my Twitter account. So so please do follow us and uh, send us your feedback. It's AI Marketing Pod. So follow us on Twitter, AI Marketing Pod. Say hello. Tell us your thoughts. I'm so glad you said that, Martin. Because not only would I love, like Martin would love, for you to send us your thoughts. What we're really looking for as well is ninja marketing applications. If you've done something cool with AI that's sort of beyond the bog standard I asked ChatGPT to give me a blog post and then it did, 
we'd love to hear from from you because some of the and, and and maybe it's one that you did yourself and we'd love to like talk about what you've done you could even come on the show and we'll happily interview you about what you've done or maybe it's just something cool that you saw that you think we should see so that we can bring it up here and share it with the with the rest of the community please do because i think there's some really exciting stuff happening in the margins where people are just doing something creative with these tools thinking outside the box and getting some really amazing results we talked about the success of the Shopify uh, cold, e uh, uh, cold outreach email program last week. And if you've got them, we'd love to hear you hit us up on the Twitters and share them with us and ask your questions and share your best applications and all that good stuff. Nice one. Thank you, Martin. I will look forward to you speaking to you next time. See you next week. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to Artificially Intelligent Marketing. To stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, be sure to subscribe. We look forward to seeing you again next week.